of all the honor, of all the praise. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Somebody praise him. Somebody magnify him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Luke chapter 2, verse number 10, and I'll let you be seated, verse 10 and 11. I want to say welcome to everybody into the house of the Lord. I know that there uh, is a lot of people out traveling and so on and so forth, uh, but I'm thankful for everybody that was able to make it to the house of the Lord today, and I believe God's going to do a great work in us. Hallelujah. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what I feel in my spirit. In Jesus' name. Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I want to teach to us about the incarnation of Christ. The incarnation of Christ. Why don't you set your Bibles down? Let's pray one more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory. We give you praise. We're so grateful, God, that you came that you lived, that you died, that you rose again for us, God. And we're giving you the praise and the glory and the honor here today in the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Shake your neighbor's hand, tell them God bless you, and you may be seated. The incarnation of Christ. I have been saved for almost 17 years. Now, it's always worth shouting about. Now, that's not 17 years is in August. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But in 17 years, no blight on anybody, I don't think I've ever heard teaching on the incarnation of Christ. Now, I have heard teaching on the oneness of God, the manifestation of, the, of God in flesh. I, I know that. But I'm talking about teaching of one of our most fundamental doctrines in the church, and that is Jesus Christ incarnate. And uh, I want to do my best to talk about a few things. Now, uh, in studying for this, I have way more than we probably have time uh, because it really goes deep. I mean, this, this theology, uh, this is ultimately your basis for Christology. God became a man. That is, I think, really, we, we undermine that or underestimate that, that God became a man. And if there's no other uh, doctrine that's worth worshiping God about, it should be this one. Now, the atheist would say, it's the greatest reason to not believe in Jesus. It's the greatest reason to not believe in God. But I've come to tell you, it's actually the greatest reason to believe in God. Amen. So, Brother Johnson, we're going we're gonna to hit these verses. As always, you're, you do a great job back there. I've given you about a billion verses, so... When I'm, when I'm teaching, we're going to go through verses. When I'm preaching, we, we're going to go through a couple. Hallelujah. Amen. Second John uh, chapter 1, 
in verse 7. I had to pull up perfect. Thank you. The Bible says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. 1 John 4 and 2. Give him a second to pull it up. Hallelujah. Amen. 1 John 4 and 2. We'll get there eventually. Hallelujah. I got to get the church of Mac. It'll get there a little faster. <laughs> We're apostolic right here. All the androids usually just left the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. There we go. First John 4 and 2. The Bible says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come and even now already it already is it in the world. I, I want people to realize how powerfully the Bible is against people who declare that Jesus Christ did not come into the flesh. This is something that uh, has been taught throughout history that, that many other branch-offs of quote-unquote Christianity, and they have said, oh no, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, and they will take verses like this, and they will explain it away, and they will say, no, Jesus joined himself to flesh, and, and they use other terminology, and it's, it's confusing, and ultimately, it is not biblical. We, as the church of the living God, have got to take very special notice uh, and, and make sure that we preserve the truth that Jesus Christ really was born. That God Almighty really did become a man. And if we confess that, the Bible lets us know every spirit that is confessing or every, every uh, voice out there in this world that is confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is letting us know that that's, that is truth. That is something of God. But it is also letting us know anybody who says that Jesus Christ was not actually born, physically born. Okay, I want to get that through. That we might say, well, yeah, we already know that. We believe that's why we celebrate Christmas, whatever, so on and so forth. But you would be shocked how many people, when you actually ask them, do you really believe that Jesus Christ was born? I, I grew up in an atheist home, didn't believe in God, none of that. It was probably one of my major arguments. You mean to tell me that Jesus Christ or God Almighty was born? This infinite being that everybody worships that created everything became an infant. That is absurd. And, and as you study the Bible, and as you study out just the basic theologies uh, in the Bible, and also the understanding of God himself, you start to actually realize, wow, that's actually a very powerful act. It's a very powerful act that God would do that. Because, and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, if Jesus Christ was not born in the flesh, then he could not be God. Hear me out. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, so on and so forth. And if he did not come in the flesh, then he has not had that, uh, he has not had that information. He does not know what it is to be human. And so God is ultimately 
through becoming a baby, a, a human being, if you will, a deity becoming humanity, that act right there is increasing and showing us the power of God. Amen. And so we've got to make sure we hold on to that theology. Jesus Christ became a man, and he was actually physically born. Now let's talk about that from the Bible standpoint. Uh, the Bible is very replete with verses. It lets us know that Jesus Christ was to be physically born. Some people say, well, well, they believe that Jesus just came to earth. This right here, this theology, we get this wrong. We fall into Trinitarian uh, uh, false doctrine. Okay, because they believe in an eternal son. That, that's, that's really the biggest difference. See, we believe that God became a man. Okay? They believe that the Son was before all things, and he was sitting back there with the Father and, and his homie, the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, Three-headed. You, you, you get what I'm saying here. And, and so this is one of our most cornerstone doctrines to believe that God became a man. Amen. So they'll say, well, well, he didn't become. I mean, how does he become? And they'll go on and we don't got to go up on that. Okay. Isaiah 7 and 14. I've got too much to talk about here today and not enough time. Hallelujah. Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so what the Bible is letting us know here, the prophet seeing forth into the future, that, that there was a Savior to be born. And his name Emmanuel, and we later find that that name Emmanuel in Matthew, it means God with us. Not a part of God, not a piece of God, not God's favor. God with us. Amen. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The Bible lets us know it is to be through a virgin. In other words, there is to be no human interference. This is going to be an act of God. And that is one of our most cornerstone beliefs that God has come to save us. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, wonderful verses here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We are seeing again Isaiah looking into the future, and he's seeing that a actual physical birth will come to pass. There will be a child born. There will be a son given. And, and we like to preach about all the things that this that this uh, man named Jesus is. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. I, I wonder where some people get off on that and they think, well, he's not really God. It says right there that that very child that's born is going to be called the mighty God. Uh, Isaiah should have been stoned right here for blasphemy. He should, they should have said, well, God, God can never be a man. He can never be born. Uh, the mighty God would never come down. They should have killed the prophet Isaiah right here. But even in the Hebrew religion, the Jewish religion, they still look at the book of Isaiah as being a prophet from God. 
and so do we. Hallelujah. But I want to point out one thing that was very, uh, that just popped out to me, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here. But after saying that this son is going to be born, a, chi- a child's going to be born, son's going to be given, the government shall be upon his shoulders and tells us that he's the prince of peace and goes all these great things and his, his, his kingdom's going to keep on going. The, of, the, of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. The Bible says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, God is zealous about saving us. God was zealous and excited and ready to come in the flesh to save you and I. I don't know about you, but that makes me get excited. It was his zeal. The zeal of God made him be born of a virgin. The zeal of God. It was his, and that's why Jesus can go through a cross. And the Bible says it was for the joy that was set before him. He had, I want to tell you, it was painful, but he had joy in his pain. How do you have joy in your pain? How did, how did God get excited uh, about being born of a woman? How did God get excited about this? Because he looked down the road and saw that there'd be a church in Carson City. And he realized, I might be going through pain right now. I don't got time to preach. But it's going to be worth it in the end. There might be some hurt right now, but I'm excited. I'm zealous. I've got joy. I'm ready because one day I'm going to have some ex-drug addicts. I'm going to have some ex-alcoholics. Can I get an amen from somebody that used to sit on the bar? I didn't come to preach, but I might as well. It was the seal of God that said, I'm going to come and be a man so that I can save mankind. And I'm excited about it because one day I'm going to have a church. Oh, somebody praise him. Genesis 3 and 15, Brother Johnson. Hallelujah. Learn the art of slowing down and teaching. Hallelujah. Got to go back into Bible study mode. Genesis 3 and 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so I'm going to go through a couple of these. We, We found from Isaiah a child was going to be physically born. We've seen that. It's in the Bible. Uh, that is irrefutable, that God, God will be born. Amen. But here we find that he will be born. It is prophesied right here. And I will talk more about that here in a minute, uh, uh, talking about why God was born. But he will be born in the lineage of Adam and Eve. Now, this is prophesied after the failure of Adam and Eve. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he was letting them know that I am going to come the seed of the woman. I'm going to come right through the very, there was failure, but there will be salvation. Genesis 22 and 17, we find that God has got a a plan to be born. Some people say, well, why did God choose a people? Why did God choose one man, one nation? I'll tell you why, because you can only be born out of one woman, and he has to break it down, because God's intention from the very beginning has been to save mankind. So God went through this lineage to do it. Genesis 22 and 17, uh, he's speaking to Abraham that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now there's a lot of prophecy gone into Abraham's life, we can go back to when his name was Abram. We can go through there. 
But we find here that God gave a promise to Abraham, you're going to have a son. And uh, I want to tell you that this theology is all the way through the Bible. There's going to be a son born. There's going to be a son born. And, and Adam and Eve were looking for that son born. And then Cain kills his brother. He's disqualified. And so everybody from the beginning of time, they've been waiting for a son to be born. And now Abraham, that son's good. there's going to be a son born. And, and in the process of that son being born, he produces an Ishmael. He makes another mistake. And that's not the son that God wanted. And so now he's, he's being promised, okay, I'm going to change your name. And we can talk about this and preach about this another time. I'm going to change you from Abraham, Abram to Abraham. And Abraham is only going to have one son. And his name's going to be Isaac. And what it's letting us know here is that thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In your seed, in your son, uh, in this lineage, there's going to come a blessing upon the whole world. Now, he prophesies to Abraham in two different ways. He says that your children, your seed, is going to be like the sand of the seashore. That's talking about down here on earth. You're going to have some physical births. And these physical births are going to populate the earth. And, and they're going to be a blessed people. And whoever blessed them, I'll bless. Whoever cursed them, I'll curse. And in other words, don't mess with God's people. Hallelujah. But in that, he also says it's also going to be like the stars in the sky. This is a twofold way of looking at it. He's saying that it's going to be, you're going to be blessed here on earth with children, but there's going to be children born again. Hallelujah. There's going to be a church. It is a prophecy that there is going to be a people, uh, amen, born again of, not of earth, but of heaven. Not of corruptible, but incorruptible. Hallelujah. And so he's letting them know here that there is going to be a birth of a son. And, and through your lineage, Abraham, this prophecy has been going all the way from the beginning. That Jesus Christ will eventually be born in the lineage of Abraham. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10. I grabbed extra verses because I liked them, so please forgive me for some context here. Hallelujah. Some of these verses may want to preach and shout, but we'll do that another time. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Okay, no man is worthy of praise, so something's down the pipeline here. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. And we don't have time to get into all this prophecy, but this is a prophecy coming forth uh, from his father. From the prey, uh, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. I could preach about that. He crouched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, or rulership shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. And the Bible, ultimately, there's a lot of prophecy going on in here. I could preach all day about him stooping down. Anybody thankful that God Almighty stooped down to the level of humanity? Hallelujah. And he was a young lion and became, was like an old lion, and he's... He's, he's, he's here in the temporal, but he's also eternal, and, and we can go through all of this. But the Bible is ultimately letting us know that the Savior, the Messiah, will physically be born through the lineage of Judah. Isaiah 11 and 1. Isaiah 11 and 1. The Bible says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of of his roots. And there's more context here. There's more verses here. Uh, we could also go to the book of Zechariah, talking about that his name shall be called the branch, and, and ultimately his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And in this, it's letting us know that out of the stem of Jesse, Jesse is the lineage, is the father of David, King David. And uh, in our original text, talking about him sitting on the king and on the on the throne of David and never departing from the throne of David. In other words, never departing from the kingship uh, and the rulership of Israel and of the whole world. So the Bible is letting us know here that he will be born in the lineage of David. All right, let's move forward to Micah 5 and 2. Micah 5 and 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee he shall come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. He shall come forth. Hallelujah. I, I just want somebody to know that, that this prophecy right here is letting us know that he, he's going to come forth. There's going to be an entry. But his goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. In other words, it's being prophesied. First thing I want to say, he will be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, I preached about it this morning, is named the house of bread. How fitting that Jesus Christ, who said, I am the bread of life, would be born in the house of bread. We got a hungry world out there, and Jesus said, I'm going to come and give them some bread. Hallelujah. I'm going to fill them up. But he's going to be born in Bethlehem, physically born. That's what I'm proving here today, physically born. Not, not, not some uh, spiritual being that just came here and, 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 and uh, the, the right word is a, uh, a theophany. It's just a, a appearing. That's where we see the fourth man in the fire. That's why we see Abraham talking angel of the Lord of hosts. We see, we see it all the way through the Bible, but just having a, a, a physical appearance and to show up is not the same as being physically born, and we don't got time to get into that here today, but it's letting us know he's going to come forth, he's going to be born, physically born, but he also is from old and from everlasting. This God Almighty is going to manifest himself in flesh. Eternity is going to take on the temporal Infinity will become an infant. This, this almighty God is going to come down to the likes of you and I. Amen. Anybody thankful that he did? Hallelujah. I'm thankful. Hallelujah. Now we've figured out, according to the Bible, he will be physically born. We said in our text in Luke that he was today in the city of David. He's born a Savior, Christ the Lord. We've seen it. It's come to pass. And, and the main question that's posed after people go, well, I don't know if he was physically born. Now, here's the deal. We could say, well, we have no proof. And, okay, well, all right. We don't have any proof. If you don't believe the Bible, then we don't really have a lot to talk about on this anyways. But if you do believe the Bible, we've got more verses than we could talk about here today. That he was born. He was going to be born. Thank God he was born. Hallelujah. But the question that poses after that, once you've settled that, the Bible says that uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Okay, that's, that's one of your first things. you got to believe that he is. We can't start anywhere. We can't have a conversation about anything. If people, if that's why, well, how do I win an atheist? Well, first thing, we got to start him, them believing that he is. And maybe you don't believe everything that he is. We can work on that later. But you got to start with initial belief. Okay, maybe there is a God. Okay, we can work with that. We can work with that. Uh, but the main question after this, after believing that he is, that he would be born, that he was born, is why? 
why was Jesus Christ born? Why would God become a man? If he is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. If he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once without diminishing his, pre his power or his presence. He's not spread thin. Amen. God is, he's everywhere, and he's still in the same consistency. Amen. He is eternal. He's outside of time. He's infinite. He's not defined or captivated by space. Why would that kind of God become something so vulnerable and weak? Couldn't God just wave his hand and sin disappear? If this God's so powerful, couldn't he just, couldn't he just say, okay, no more penalty. Everything's fine. Well, in theory, yes, he couldn't. Because God is all-powerful. God can do anything. We don't diminish God. We diminish ourselves, that's one thing. We don't diminish God. But I will tell you here today, he never would have. God could have waved his hand and said, no worries, Adam, Eve, you messed up. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to change my word that said, surely you'll die. I'll just make it like it never happened. You're good. And I'll just wave my magical wand of deity and you'll be fine. He could have done that, but he never would have. Because God has a greater purpose in his plan to save humanity. God has always got a greater purpose in salvation than he ever sees in our failure. Amen. You see, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God immediately made a prophecy of their future salvation. We read that verse earlier, but you can pull it up. Genesis 3 and 15. It lets us know that I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I just got to say this for a moment. There is no sin in existence that God does not already have the remedy for. I'm going to tell you that again. There's no sin out there. Well, this sin's worse than that sin. That No. God had a remedy for the original sin. He had, a, he had a sacrifice already ready. He had, like in Abraham's case, the Lord himself shall provide a sacrifice. He already had blood there to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. And he already had a plan down the road. See, there's some folks, and I can't get off on this too far, that don't know that God can forgive them, that aren't certain whether God could ever love them because I've made so many mistakes, I've done so many things wrong, and they feel as if they have gone and caught God, God, caught God off guard with their sin. And, and now God doesn't know what to do, and he's scrambling to figure out how he's going to work with humanity. I want to tell you, God's all-knowing. He knows you're going to make a mistake. But at the same time, Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. God's got a remedy for it. God's got mercy for it. God's got blood for it. Is anybody thankful for that? Adam and Eve, you messed up, but God says, I've got mercy for you. I've got grace for you. There's blood for you. There's a sacrifice for you. And not just the blood of bulls and goats, which we find all the way through the Bible, but he's saying that there's going to be a sacrifice born of a woman, and that sacrifice born of a woman is going to save all of humanity. Oh, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. God spoke the word, and his nature teaches us that God never breaks his word. For the Bible itself testifies that it's impossible for God to lie. God is not a man that he should lie. God is truth. Everything God says is truth. And when God said it in stone, that if you eat of this, you're surely going to die, that meant no matter what, he was not going to change his word. God was not going to lie for the sake of his own, his own righteousness, his own deity. Uh, we got a lot of theology there we can get into at another time. But he would not change his word. 
But also, he, he was also bringing another word there that says that I will put enmity between the, the serpent and the woman. But there's going to come a birth, and that birth is going to crush that very serpent that messed mankind up in the first place. So I'm not going to take away death by just waving my magical wand, but I am going to take away death by being born of a woman. Hallelujah. And God spoke that word, and God would not change his word. And so God set the rule that, that there would not be salvation if that rule was not followed. In other words, God prophesied that in his word that salvation of man would come from a man that was born of a woman. That is the very fundamental doctrine in the Bible, all the way in Genesis. But how does fallen man save his fellow fallen men? There is no way for busted and broken humanity to put themselves back together. God put this rule out there that no man could follow, that no man could keep. I, I, I'm just trying not to preach here today. He put it out there that nobody, there's no man on earth, they look for Cain, Cain kills his brother. Well, maybe it's Abraham and he produces an Ishmael. Maybe it's David and he kills a man and steals his wife. Maybe it's, you go down the list, they all got problems. Maybe that's the son that's born. Maybe that's the one that's going to make a way. And then finally they realize they're at a place of hopelessness. There's, there's no way. There's no man good enough. See, that's what God was really trying to get us to realize. There's no man good enough. There's none good. No, not one. Amen. We've all gone our own way. But there is a remedy. Amen. For fallen man. And that's for God to become a man. The almighty, perfect God to become human and to save mankind. Hallelujah. Man and woman created the problem of sin through their disobedience. And now their salvation was prophesied to come through a man that came through a woman who lived a life of absolute obedience. 1 John 3 and 5. You want to know why Jesus came? And, and you know that he was manifested to take our sins, take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 1 John 3 and 8. And this is going a little in depth here. Because he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. This has been a fight. God's been trying to, yeah, we got time to get into that, hallelujah. <laughs> for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'll preach here on Christmas, but I might as well just for a minute. He was manifested that he might destroy the very works. What are the works of the devil? Everything the devil messed up in humanity. That means every drug addict. God's not coming to destroy the drug addict. No, he's coming to destroy the addiction. God's not coming to kill the liar and the cheater and the thief. But no, he's come to strike at the very root of the problem. He's saying, devil, your kingdom's coming down because my kingdom is going up. And I'm about to. I got to preach for just a moment. I got a church in Carson City of people that used to be. But they ain't no more because when I was manifested in the flesh, I took away their sins on that cross through my blood. Oh, somebody praise him. 
I know it's Christmas service, but somebody praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He destroyed the works of the devil in your life. You might be here today, but I've come to let you know there's a God that manifested in the flesh to take away your sins, not let you die in them. There's a God that came to get you up out of that mess and put his foot on the head of the serpent and say, we win. Oh, somebody praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Y'all are messing with me here today. You all did this, hallelujah. I get excited when I read the Bible. Hey, if you don't read your Bible, you are missing out. You are missing out. Outside, my wife and the Holy Ghost, the greatest gift anybody ever gave me was a Bible. They said, read this. I'm off on so many tangents, that's all right. We're talking about the incarnation of Christ. They, said, they gave me a Bible said, here you go. Not expecting me to read it. Brother, I was up in that room. They were fighting, getting called off by the cops. But I was like, yeah, I got to read this book. And it just started coming alive. You start, you'll, you'll be excited to live for God when you start reading his word. Things will pop out to you when you read his word. Hallelujah. Y'all stop, stop. Galatians 4 and 4. Amen. Talking about why he. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Anybody disagreeing with what the Bible's been saying? Made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. He became his son, if you will, so he could make us receive the adoption of sons. First Timothy 3 and 16. And without, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, not a piece of God, not a part of God, not a third of God. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. He was physically born, and he physically died, and he physically rose up. Hallelujah. Hebrews 2 and 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. In other words, the answer to the question, why was he born? He was born so that I could be born again. Amen. He was born so you could be born again. He was born and he died so that you could be born again and not die. So you could make your way to heaven and be with him. So there'd be no more distance. There'd be no more separation. There'd be no more isolation of humanity from God. No more estrangement from God. He was saying, I'm tired of you being so far away in your mistakes and in your sin that I will go from eternity, I will go from infinity, and I will come down and I will be like you. I will come among you, and I will die for you. Oh, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we only got a few more minutes, so I'll finish it with this. But what does his birth mean to us? Number one, it means God is on our side. Matthew 1 and 23, if you would, please. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God 
with us. In other words, he is not a distant deity. See, see what I said at the beginning? It's not limiting his power. It's showing his power. Limiting his power would say he's, he's so big, he's so far away, I can't ever get to him. Can't ever talk to him. Can't ever speak to him. But he said, I'm not only infinite. I can come down and into the smallest, most finite place. I'm not only eternal, but I can come down into time and into the temporal. Amen. God is not some faraway, distant deity judging us and hurling thunderbolts from heaven. He made himself weak and vulnerable. He is infinitely above us, but he also came alongside us. And after his death and resurrection, he came and lived on the inside of us through the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that he might fill all things. God has come that he might fill all things, all places, all spaces, all people. So there's nothing limited to this limitless God. Hebrews 4 and 15. Number two. This is what it means to us. It means that God understands us completely. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Well, God doesn't understand my problems. Actually, by manifesting in the flesh, he understands every one of your problems. Easy to not believe in a God that just doesn't know what it's like to be a man. In other words, if we were to just leave him out there in the cosmos, we could look up and shake our fists and say, God, you don't know what it's like. This life is hard. You did this to me. That's, what the, that's why the atheists are all messed up. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Well, I ain't got time to talk about it because people make choices, and they aren't always good. But for every bad choice, there's a good God. And that good God said, I will be the good choice. And he was tempted at all points at, like as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible's letting us know is we don't have the kind of high priest that you can't go near, can't touch. And there's a lot of theology here. We'll get into that another time we start talking about the tabernacle. Uh, you couldn't go near the priest. You couldn't touch the priest. You couldn't, uh, you know, there's some people get offended, can't shake the pastor's hand, let alone the priest's hand. I'm just saying, you, you don't touch the priest. You don't go near the priest. But the Bible's letting us know that he's the kind of, he's the kind of high priest you can get near. He's the kind of high priest you can, you can reach out. He's the kind of high priest that will touch a leper. And not just touch him, cleanse him. He is the kind of high priest that a woman that was a prostitute can lie down and cry at the feet of Jesus and pour her anointing oil and just bless him and worship him. And, and, and he's the kind of high priest she can come and though she's made mistakes, she can still get to the feet of Jesus. He's the kind of high priest that people right here in Carson City that they can come and worship him, amen, week in and week out, day in and day out. Because we can reach him. We can touch him. In fact, the very next verse says, therefore, come boldly. I don't have it up there, but brother, can you pull up Hebrews 4 and 16? At least I think I'm in the right chapter. If not, it's in the right Bible. I didn't mean to go here, but let's go here. Let us therefore come timidly, timidly, quietly. I ain't going to preach on that yet. Let us come boldly with, with authority. But I'm, I'm a messed up human. I've made mistakes. I've done so many things wrong. No, I'm going to come boldly under the throne of grace. Why? Because I'm going to obtain mercy there. And I'm going to find grace to help in the time of need. And I'll tell you why. Because I got a high priest that came, this God that became a man. 
This God that became a man was tempted in all points like as we are, and now he's reachable. Now he's touchable. The Almighty God became a baby, and that baby was raised, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again so that we can come near him. Some people say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. That should put it in perspective for you how much God cares. How low will God go? I'll tell you how low. To a manger outside of the stable. Number three, Colossians 2 and 9. We only got a few more minutes. I'm usually pretty good at teaching. I just teach and I don't preach, but I get excited. This is, this is doctrinal. This is good stuff. Number three in Colossians 2 and, and 9. We'll read that here in a second. It means that God identified himself completely with us so that we will be completely identified with him. Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness, not a couple, not a little, not some, all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and power. How are you going to be complete in him if he never came? God's ultimate plan was for us to be like him. But when we failed to be like God, God became like us so we could be like God ultimate goal. Be like me. Be ye holy for I am holy. But when we failed at that objective, the devil offered the same thing. Be like God. Just do it something other than God's way. We took that option because it looked easier. It looked better. It was to be desired. But God was saying, no, there's a call to be holy, to be like me. And when we failed that objective, God said the only way to make man like God is for God to become a man. Amen. Number four. It means that every part of us is under his lordship. God has to be Lord of all, or as they've said it before, he's not Lord at all. If he would have just waived the penalty of sin, he, he would have saved the soul, but never redeemed the whole of man. Because you remember, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does knowledge do with the mind? In other words, God had to become like us in every way to redeem the whole man. He had to have a mind so he could redeem our mind. He had to have a body so that he could redeem our body. He came and became just like us so that every area, God doesn't want to leave one area of your life. That's why he put an angel right there in front of the tree of life. Not because God hates man and wanted man to die. No, God did want man to live forever in their condition. And God said, I've got a plan. I've got a plan that they'll live forever, but it won't be in that condition. It won't be in that brokenness. It won't be in that sickness. It won't be in that pain. There will come a day, and that day's coming quick. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we all will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and we'll meet him there in the sky. And the Bible says that one day he'll wipe away every tear from the eye. There'll be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. And I'm going to tell you how that happened. Uh, because the tree of life became a man. His name is Jesus Christ. He came down for us, died for us rose again for us. Hallelujah. Number five, it is a constant reminder of how God chooses to reveal himself. If you could pull up 1 John 4, 9 through 11, and I will finish here. Okay, here we go. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, here we go. 
What does this mean to us? His birth. What does that mean to us? Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The greatest showing of love, amen, is when you got to think about at Christmas time, we like to think about Christ as a baby. And when we really stop to think about that, the Almighty God becoming this vulnerable, helpless, crying child, this baby, but yet he's still God. Just think about that for a moment. I think that should make us think a little deeper about God's perspective on the weak and vulnerable. Omnipotent infinity became weak as an infant so that he could save the weakest of humanity. That's how God thinks about vulnerability and weakness. He said, I'll become vulnerable and weak so that I can go and reach the most vulnerable and weak individuals. Why don't we stand? Lift up your hands and let's praise him. Somebody praise this God that became a man so that he could redeem all of man, the whole man, mind, body, soul, spirit. He came to redeem it all. Somebody praise him. Thank you, Jesus, that you became weak and vulnerable and you died, God, so that I could live. You were born so I could be born again. You you came so that I could get close to you. And, and God, you, you, you came down to where I was because I couldn't get up to where you were. And, God, you reached down your hand and picked me up when I couldn't even get up. Oh, somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. I don't know about you, but when I think of that, I think about it in a good perspective. That's the love of God. That's the love of God toward us, that God manifested himself in the flesh for our, to die for our sins. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. If you want to take a few moments, get a drink of water, all of that, we're going to be starting worship here at about 2.30. And uh, if, if you want to come and we're going to have a time of prayer, go ahead and do that as well. Lord bless you.